Hey friends, welcome to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm your host, Jill, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm a speaker, author, and life coach. Some weeks I share what God is teaching me, and other times I invite a friend to join me on the podcast and we chat about what it means to love God, love ourselves, and love others. Here we go. Welcome back to The Jill Monaco Show. I'm so glad you've joined me for this very special episode. A few years ago, when I put everything in storage and drove across country by myself, I met with some incredible people who were doing extraordinary things. I love developing friendships with people that walk in different circles than me because it gives me a fresh perspective on life. Many of the folks were friends from different seasons, some I worked with and others I met online, But the thing is, these folks were going through stuff. They were going through struggles they didn't advertise on social media or challenges they were in the process of overcoming, you know, real life. I got to see their process over the years, and later I got to see how God worked it all out. Many of my podcast guests share with you what God has taught them through those challenges. Today is one of those episodes where you'll hear about a journey of a faithful warrior who kept going in the midst of unfulfilled dreams. Can you relate to that? Have you ever felt like you just couldn't catch a break? You were following God best you knew how, and yet things were still difficult. Today, you get to meet my friend, Kate Hurley. We originally met on my journey, and then she wrote one of the most popular blog articles for my online magazine, Single Matters. She has a unique way of sharing her encounters with God. Her wisdom and humor makes you go from aha to ha ha ha. Okay, that was kind of cheesy, but it worked. Before we get started, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. I get emails from listeners all over the world who are encouraged in their faith because of our guests. If you haven't already, I'd love it if you'd consider leaving a rating and a review on the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. It helps the podcast get easily discovered by listeners who are searching for topics we discuss here on The Jill Monaco Show. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Kate. Kate Hurley was a touring musician for 14 years, playing everywhere from castles in Germany to villages in India to 15,000 people hippie gatherings. (laughs) She has made five solo albums, including an upcoming live worship album. Her voice ushers you into the presence of God. I have her album on repeat. She had a popular blog on singleness for many years and wrote a book called Getting Naked Later, Making Sense of the Unexpected Single Life. Formerly, Cupid is a Procrastinator. Both titles just crack me up, and it reflects the witty person Kate is too. Today, we talk about singleness, but if you're married, don't tune out, because Kate is now dating and she has a lot more to say about being in a relationship. Because after years of waiting, God has brought her to a wonderful man. We explore how to process waiting, disappointment, and feeling alone, but we also have some fun. 
You'll enjoy her stories, I promise. Her message on waiting and trusting God and all the struggles that she went through are going to encourage you today. Are you ready to hear from Kate? Yeah, me too. Let's head over there. Kate, hey, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. I'm so, so good to talk to you again. I know. It's really been forever since we've actually talked on the phone or in person. I know. Lots of emailing, but not as much uh, talking in person. <laughs> I know. There's just too many good people in my life. that. So I kind of feel like everyone's going to eavesdrop on our conversation because I really want to know how you are. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. So last time we saw each other, you were in California. And That's right, yes. you were living on a street where I think a lot of you like did community together. And I just thought that was a cool thing. Yes, yeah. I lived in San Diego for a while and I lived in a um intentional community. So there were about fifty people who all lived within four blocks of each other. It was really, it was actually a program for people who wanted to start communities like that because mm-hmm. I was hoping to move to where I live now, which is Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and start something similar. So I was going through a training for people who are interested in that. And that's something that's really interested me is community living, especially as a single person. For most of my life, especially as I've gotten older and, and not been married, I've looked for situations where people are really intentional about being in mm-hmm. community. Um, well, I think you're, you know, we've talked before about loneliness and, um, you know, being single and being away from family and doing ministry and, you know, serving the Lord. It's the greatest privilege to serve him. And yet you hear people like Mother Teresa who, you know, mm. put in her journal how she struggled and, um, you know, people don't want to hear it because it makes them feel bad, <laughs> you know, and right. I don't want to share it because I don't want, really want the sympathy. I don't, you know, there's, it's almost like I want compassion. You know, everyone wants compassion, but I want to be talking about the things God is doing because that lifts my spirit up. If I start talking about yeah the loneliness, then I just feel even worse for some, you know what I mean? There's a fine line, mm, I guess, right? Yes, that, yes, definitely. But what I really yeah. love about what you do in your book, so let's chat about your book. Um, okay. What I love about what you do in your book is you you do both things. You share the hard stuff, and then you share the awesome thing that God did through that and your faith and the struggles with faith. You're all over the board mm-hmm. on that. And so it's really relatable to people. So thank you for pouring out mm-hmm. your heart. Yes. Yeah. One thing that I remember from from my book um, is where I talk about how it's good for us to long and let go at the same time. And those, those two things seem like kind of the opposite, like you can't long and let go, but, um, God kind of lives in a world where, where opposites can happen. And so, you know, there's, there's a place where you can really, you know, have struggles and long for, you know, a family, but at the same time, be able to let go of it. Um, yeah, and and be able to to let let it go to God, and to just be completely honest about your feelings, but not be so lost in those feelings that it just like wrecks the rest of your life. You know. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of like any dream, right? That you're working toward, whether you're praying to have a child or to you know 
finish school and start that career or, you know, even for musicians, you know, getting your record deal, you can 100% want it. Everything in you is like, I'm believing, I am praying, I am working towards it. And you can 100% have it in God's hands and say, and I trust you and that you gave me this dream and that you're going to take care of it in your timing, in your way. You know, like we don't have to say, oh, my scale is tipped one way more than the other right now. Because if we think, oh, I'm just giving it to God and we're not doing anything to partner with him, like that isn't healthy either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I think that a good way to live is to is to really deal with the cards you've been given, like really play the cards you've been given um, rather than always wishing for a different hand of cards. Yeah. But but there's, there's also... But you don't want to be like, oh, like just be satisfied with where <laughs> you are. There's, there's such a balance of of being, um, of living a good life with the deck of cards you've been given, but also being honest about when you do struggle and, and not, and not laying those feelings aside and being like, I, this, this part of me is dead and I don't, I don't need to feel these things, but to have right. those feelings and express them, but also to not let it ruin your life. <laughs> yeah. I think validation is huge. Like we have to validate ourselves. And it's okay to, right. to let others validate. Like, yeah, of course you want that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So in your book, let's talk about the title change. So originally, oh, yeah. you called it Getting Naked Later when you self-published yeah. it. And then, yeah. <laughs> it went to, <laughs> then it went to a publisher and they called it That's right. um, Cupid is a Procrastinator. Yes, right? which was never my favorite. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I, it was after like a battle and like a million ideas. So it was finally right. like, okay, we'll just use that one. Right. <laughs> and now it's going back to getting naked later. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> they decided they wanted to remarket it. Um, so they're going to remarket it with, I wrote two new chapters. One actually was inspired by some of um, your Facebook groups because I started noticing how many people on there were divorced. And I thought I really didn't to divorce that much and there's probably mm-hmm. a lot more divorced single people that than people in my situation where they've never been married so mm-hmm. I wanted to write a chapter towards the divorced people so I so I wrote mm-hmm. two new chapters yeah and then they went back to the old title which is kind of hilarious but it is well I yeah. think it's catchy you know um it's really clever you are so clever you're so good with words even as a singer songwriter and as an author so I'm excited they changed it back <laughs> And for people don't know, but I got to be a little bit of a part of your book. That's right. Yes. Yes. I, um, well, I had just been thinking I wanted somebody to write an introduction and I thought who better to do this than Jill because she's, you know, she's just has such a heart for singles and she has such a ministry to singles. So I just thought you were really the best person to ask to do the introduction for the new edition of the book. Well, thanks for asking. And I got to read the new, the updated book and I'm really excited for it to come out. So I would love for you to share a little bit about some of the topics that you cover in the book. And one of them is you, you're really honest about your difficult childhood and depression and anxiety and chronic sickness. So I'll let you just take the reins. What part of those things, why did you include those in a book for singleness? Yeah, you know, I I just, um, I just feel like when I meet people face to face, I'm not 
often, I'm not really the type of person to be like, everything's awesome. Like, I mean, I, even when things are awesome, I really like being down to earth and like allowing people to know, um, what I'm struggling with or my vulnerabilities. And I just felt like reading this book, I, I felt a kind of a similar, um, thing. Like I almost wrote this book, um, thinking of it as a conversation with a friend or something like that. And I just felt like, why would anybody want to listen to my words if they don't know my story? Mm-hmm. And I, I always love the, I love this. Um, I read somewhere that Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers neighborhood, Fred Rogers, mm-hmm. used to um, keep a piece of uh, paper in his wallet that said, frankly, there's no one that you can't learn to love if you don't know their story. And mm-hmm. so for me, I wanted to start the whole book with my story so people kind of understood who I was before they were listening to words about um, singleness and advice and all that. I felt like I wanted them to understand where I came from and um, just the journey God had on for me that led me to sitting there writing the book. So Yeah. Can you, um, can you share more about really, I think some people struggle with the depression piece. Do you mind opening up a little bit more about that on the podcast? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm a lot better now, but I have, I've had a few seasons in my life of really scary, chronic depression where it's like, um, you know, where, I mean, so, you know, it's one thing when you have really something hard happen to you and you're sad about it, that's kind of normal, but I've had a few situations where my life was like pretty normal and maybe it just like a not that hard thing happened. And I was just like completely devastated. And, mm. you know, I, um, and some, I, I honestly think I'm one of those people, not, not everybody's like this, but where sometimes the chemicals in my body are not, not, you know, completely stable. Mm. But, and so I've had to really get a lot of counseling and, um, I've only really had two really severe depressions, but they were Mm. really bad. Like where I was very, you know, feeling suicidal and and feeling like I had nothing left to live for. Um, one, one of those was in college and lasted about a year. And then it happened again, maybe three years ago with that one was briefer. It was only for about a month or two. And, Mm. um, yeah, my friends at the time were just so supportive and they, you know, they were so worried about me and they just made sure I wasn't going to hurt myself or do anything crazy. And um, they were just awesome. So they really helped me through that one. But I've mm. been in a really stable place since then. But yeah, but depression has been a big, a hard, difficult part of my life. It's just when I mm. struggle with sadness, that's so deep that I don't know how to like cope, you know? Yeah. So... Well, I like something you said in your book. You said when you were a little girl on the playground, you would say to God, please, please give me some friends. And then as you got older, you're like, please, please give me a family. And I thought Mm -hmm. that's really powerful because I think there's so many people that can relate to that. You know, we've all been that kid that, you know, like wants something more, wants that friend or more friends or um, but it really translates to God, give me a family. There's something about deep connection with one another that we were all created to have that. Yes, absolutely. I think it was kind of written in the fabric of the, the way God made things was for people to be in relationship with each other, not necessarily romantic relationships, yeah. but um, to have each other. You know, he, he made us the body of Christ because not not just one person is 
um, has all the answers. You have to support each other and lean on each other to really get a full picture of who God is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the other thing you're really open about is your chronic sickness, and you were diag- incorrectly diagnosed and then di- finally diagnosed with Lyme's disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that was a very, very hard season. And I do talk about this in the book, too, but I um, I was, um, yeah, I, I had Lyme's disease for several years before it was finally diagnosed, and I had really a lot of severe health problems, but the worst one was that I just hardly ever could sleep. I just would go several nights without sleeping. I'd gone a week without sleeping day or night, and it was about four years where that was just uh constant where I never slept through the night and that especially was a very hard season for me to be single because I felt because I had to stop working for about a year and so it was like and I couldn't get on disability because they didn't consider it a real disease basically and so it was just I was it was just a very scary season because I didn't have anybody to um, I didn't have a husband who could work so that I could live, but I, at this time I was raising support as a music missionary. So a lot of my supporters still um, supported me. So if I hadn't had them, you know, yeah. like, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I could have ended up being homeless or, I mean, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I'm just so grateful that, but yeah, I, I had that disease pretty severely for about seven years and it really wrecked my life. But, um, I, I I went to see a naturopathic doctor who, um, after nine months of using her protocol, I got better, and I've been a lot better for at least seven years now. So wow. um, I still have more health problems than I used to, but it's definitely not debilitating like it used to be. So <laughs> thank yeah. God. <laughs> well, I was really struck in the book when you talk about, you know, you're, you're leaning over your keyboard, like you had no strength, and you wrote a song called Joy Comes in the Morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say, do you? Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a crazy, yeah, I remember that moment so well. That was when I was at my sickest. And when I was at my sickest, I was really sick. Like, I lost so much weight. I was, I was so, so skinny and I was barely ever sleeping. And my, my best friend in Boulder, where I used to live, she didn't tell me this till I got better, but she said that. She would have me come over so that I wouldn't be alone during the day. And um, she said every time I left, she would cry because she thought I was going to die. And, like, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends went to the Grand Canyon on this Grand Canyon trip together. And she called all of them and said, please come home. Like, Kate is dying. And that was right when I wrote that song. And I remember that so well. Like, I could barely get out of bed at that point. And I was so, so sick. And, yeah, I just rolled out of bed and I couldn't even cue my head up playing this song but I wrote this song with my head like on the keyboard because I couldn't even keep my head up called Joy Comes in the Morning and it's based on a psalm that talks about joy coming in the morning um yeah and the bridge says um when the kisses of this world turn bitter in my mouth and the laughter has all died down I still can see these scars on me, one so hard to bear, but they are healing now. And I remember that joy comes in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that song has been really true because the, the scars that I, you know, gained during that really hard season of sickness have really kind of built the person that I am. And that's what God does. I mean, He takes the hardest things in our life and He makes them beautiful. He takes the ashes and He makes them beautiful. Yeah. That's how He is. <laughs> He's so good. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. 
So I think there's a lot of single people and married people that, you know, we can be in any stage of life and feel alone. We can be struggling with chronic sickness and feel like no one's there for us. And people don't know what to say or they say it the wrong way. And singles, I think, get a lot of those things people say that you're like, really? Did you just say that? <laughs> and, and you have this in your book and it just cracked me up and you were at a wedding and someone said, Kate, you look smoking hot. Too bad it's wasted. <laughs> yeah. As yes, it, that was one of them. Like as if you only can look good when a man's going to appreciate it. <laughs> right, exactly. You're allowed to look beautiful even when there's no man with you to think you look beautiful. <laughs> Right. Um, it, it is funny when we read when I read some of these things. Another thing you say, you say, I'm going to rant for a second. And you said being single sucks. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. So I did have one chapter called the rant chapter. And I've always wondered, like, was that good to put that in there? But I just felt like, you know what? Like, I just want to say some things. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of the books I've read on singleness have been by people are married and are telling you how to get married or you know it's it's kind of not relatable and so I just kind of was like and I had also been in some groups of single friends who had said some of the stuff that they were so frustrated with and you know the whole room was like yes exactly I hate Mm -hmm. that you know and so I just felt like I wanted one chapter you know I didn't want to totally be like a downer to the whole entire book but I just thought one chapter where I'm just getting out why it's really hard to be single sometimes. So that was called the rant chapter. And I talk about how, I talk about why singleness sucks. That's right. Um, And I made a video once of the funny things single people hear, um, like at the holidays or something. And it's still one of my most viewed um, videos because I kind of cover. Yeah. So we should compare like the funny things we hear. One of them I hear is like, why are you single? And I'm like, now my answer instead of is like, oh, I don't know. And, you know, or you think you're trying to figure it out, too. Right. So you're like, well, I've been busy or I've been working or we just broke up with someone. So, no, now what I say is, I don't know. I'm awesome. Do you know anyone? Yeah, Yeah, totally. That's that's true. Yeah. And I mean, I have a whole other chapter about this. But like for me, one of the hardest ones to always hear was, oh, you know, if you just let go that then he'll come and I'm like mm-hmm. that is not true like like I mean you know I just have a lot of married friends who say I didn't let go and then he came you know right. and I've had and I've had seasons where I've really been like okay God I really give this to you I'm letting go and it's been a sincere letting go and I still didn't find anybody so it's <laughs> just it's just such a I mean but people have good intentions of course just trying to help you like understand your pain or have some kind of answer for you but that's not a very good answer because it makes you feel like you did something wrong and that's why mm-hmm. you're not married. Like, oh, obviously you're lacking because you're not married and so you must have done something wrong and that's something wrong with you've never let go. Right. <laughs> not, so that's not the best the best thing to hear for a single person. <laughs> totally. And I've had people say along those lines, like, well, when you least expect it. And I'm like, listen, I have least expected it a dozen times. I go to the grocery store without makeup on all the time, okay? And haven't showered in three days. I have least expected it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. Whether these little catchphrases people think will yeah. help things, and it's like this is not helping me. I do not need bumper stickers right now. I just need somebody to like love me and listen to me. Right, <laughs> right. Well, you have a, a. I love the rant chapter, but then you also have a chapter on what do married people wish singles knew. And that's a pretty powerful mm. chapter, too. You want to highlight some of those things for us? Yeah, that was a really, um, really awesome to write, especially because, like, I mean, whether or not I get married, whether or not any of us get married, like, it's always really good to understand, like, how to relate to people, how to deal with conflict resolution. And so uh, it was uh, just a compilation of, uh, like, um, things that married people had told me that they that they wish that we had known as single people. And then also just some teachings I've heard. Um, but I think one that I was always stuck out with me a lot was I heard that Stan Fairley is a pastor and I heard a, he did a sermon on, um, on, uh, <clears throat> brave communication. And, um, one of the things he said is that every person in the world has like, a uh, like a phone book of their, um, of their perspective on the world and like, um, and parents have written in it, loved ones have written in it, friends have written in it, brothers and sisters have written in it. And it just may, it just becomes this like, um, code book. That's your code book. Mm-hmm. And so every person has a code book like that. And, um, a lot of times, uh, when couples like miss each other, it's because they haven't learned to read the other person's code book. They see the they see the world in such a different way because they've had a different life. And that, you know, sometimes it's not a sin issue. It's it's sometimes it is a sin issue, but sometimes it's not a sin issue. It's just that you say you have a different code book than somebody else and you that and like that's one of the really awesome things about getting married is like really learning the other person's code book and trying to understand their perspective and and um, not letting um, the fact that they're different um, separate you, but, all, but actually bring you together. So that was one one highlight of that chapter that I always kind of think about. That's really good. I mean, that works for every relationship, friendships, how you handle conflict at work. Um, and really, tr- if you can really try and understand the other person, then often you're not frustrated with them once you understand how they're seeing a situation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, there's just something so powerful about realizing that every person's perspective is is unique and, and is beautiful. It's just as beautiful as yours. It's just different, you know? Yeah. And so you've been able to practice recently. You've been dating someone. Yeah. Yes. So how much? A very long stint of no dating. (laughs) I mean, I say no dating. I mean, I went on like a million online dates. <laughs> I did be on my all my online dating. I met two really close friends that I really love, and so and one of them, our second date, he like choked on a piece of steak, and I like hit his back really hard to like stop choking. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe it was all because of that. But yeah, so I went through a long time of not dating anybody serious, and then I had one brief relationship that was really hard and heartbreaking. Um, and then, but then I, about a year and a half ago, I started dating, um, my boyfriend and his name is Justin and he's really awesome and, um, very, I don't know. He's just, it's just been really, really good. Probably. I mean, usually I, I went on a solitude retreat like a week ago and I read through every journal I wrote for the last 10 years and Mm. 
it just was very eye-opening to see how unhappy I was and mm-hmm. pretty much every other relationship I've been in. And it's just been so much more peaceful with him. So what do you think is the difference this time? Is it, have you changed a lot or is it just a different, what makes it different? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I've changed. Um, I'm not quite as maybe as needy as I used to be, even though I'm still kind of needy. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is just that he is so, um, he's just such a loving person and he's, he's just in, incredibly loving to his kids. He has four kids. And he's just really has made it so clear to me how much he cares about me that I don't really question that. And that's mm-hmm. just been such a gift. I mean, cause my, my, my longest term relationship before him, he like never, he just, it was the biggest fight we had was that he just wasn't sure if he loved me or not. And that mm-hmm. was so heartbreaking. I mean, to just have that constant gnawing feeling like, does he love me? Does he not love me? And, um, I mean, we were together two and a half years and it was wow. like that the whole time. And so to be with somebody where I just really know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he loves me and that he wants to be with me, it just really makes me feel so much more secure. And like, mm-hmm. I don't need to, I don't know. I just, I, I just feel so much more stable feeling loved like that. So, you know, you said, but I also have learned a lot because I went through, I went through eight, seven years single, you know, and learned right. a lot during that season so well you said secure and um that is one of from what i've read that's one of women's greatest needs is to feel secure and for a man to make us Mm -hmm. feel that way it feels safe for us to trust him and you know we've read that men want to feel respected but um the way that we receive love is to know that we're loved through and that the result is security and so that's a really great um, I'm glad you highlighted that. Um, so for people who are listening, the men that are listening, um, that's it's powerful. Like you can win a woman's heart over by making us feel safe. That's so true. Yeah, it's so true. Well, you mentioned he has four yeah. kids, and so you and yeah. I, you and I haven't had children, although it's been a desire of our hearts. And you mentioned mm-hmm. this in your book. So, what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, it's been such a journey because I, I have always loved kids like so much like I have you know I work uh, my whole life the only two jobs I've ever done is working with kids and and doing music mm-hmm. and now I combine those and I I teach music lessons now but like for years I worked at you know I worked at group foster homes I worked at orphanages I worked in daycares after school programs camps like you name it I I have worked with kids and so really when I was in my 30s it was just one of the tragedies of my life that I had not had children. I mean, I really wanted a husband as well, but, and it it was, I mean, I went through many years where I thought about adopting alone, but it was, it was a hard thing for me because I really, when I was honest with myself, I wanted a husband and kids. And I just, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a very hard thing for me to, to go through. And, um, and yeah, it was, I mean, honestly, the tragedy of my life, honestly, I just, I could not, it was just so hard for me. And like, I I moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And one of the joys of one of the reasons I lived, I moved here because my, my nieces and nephews are here. My, my brother and sister-in-law who I love are here. And my nieces and nephews are here. And my oldest nephew has cerebral palsy. And when I used to come visit, 
he would get so sad when I would leave. He'd be like, why don't you live here? I'll build you a tree house. Why don't you move out? You know, and um, just being around them enough, I realized, you know what? Like, I don't have my own kids. I really want to be around these kids and and have some kind of family that are my kids. And mm-hmm. and since I moved here, they caught, my group of friends called me the... the um, kindergarten rock star because like whenever I walk in the room all the kids just like Kate and they're like you know, <laughs> me. I just always love kids like that um and you know it's still a little hard because I'm now I'm now 44 and it's you know it's very unlikely I would have kids I'm, I'm, I mean even if just minute I get married it's really unlikely we'll have kids but you know he, um he has four kids and I love his kids um really so much we I mean we just have had such a good relationship so far like just just we've just bonded a lot and I just I like adore them and honestly sometimes I like kind of enjoy the the role that I have maybe even more than I would a mother because I'm not I don't love being like a disciplinarian (laughs) that's not really my strong suit and so I'm kind of like I get to be like the fun you know they call me Mama Kate. I get to be fun, Mama Kate. Mama Kate, and um, I don't. And my boyfriend, if, if there needs to be like boundary set or discipline <laughs> to do it, I could just be fun, you know. So, so, um, and I am coming to terms with like, you know, I might not ever have my own blood children, but my whole life I've always known that I was going to adopt one day. And now, you know, if Justin and I do get get married, then you know, this is a way of adopting that's maybe not exactly how I pictured it. And it is, I am going through a little bit of a mourning that I'm not their only mom, you know, that they, yeah. I mean, they, that they have biological mothers that I never want to try to replace. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do really want to, um, just be like a mother figure in their life and really love on them. Um, so mm-hmm. there's still some mourning there, but it's definitely not as devastating as it used to be for me. Yeah. So, and I think that to address that for people that are listening, um, now that I am older than you, <laughs> there are different seasons in my thirties. Um, you know, your body clock is naturally telling you, "Hurry up, let's get this done." You know, and God uses that so that we will have children in our twenties and thirties when our bodies can do that, and um, and then into my forties when I realized I'm not dating anyone. And I was your age and I thought, all right, I'm not dating anyone. I'm probably not going to have kids. And I've shared this before on a previous podcast, but I just did the ugly cry in the shower. I was like, it was Mother's Mm. Day. I think I was 45 at the Mm. time, Mother's Day. And I just couldn't go to church that day. I was like, this is it. Like, it just hit me that I wasn't Mm. even, no one was on the radar. And, um, you know, I just let the water wash all my tears and I just felt the kindness of God just come in and let me know that like he was sad with me it was like when Jesus wept you know when Mary and and the people were so sad that Lazarus had died it was that Mm -hmm. kindness that he joined me in that moment and said it's okay you don't have to go to church today and so I spent time with him and you know I'll just even cry now not because of the loss but because of the kindness of God and I think it's okay for us to grieve the loss of things we haven't been able to have that were desires of our hearts. And, you know, people will debate whether it's God's will or not. God never said to me in that grieving moment, it wasn't my will, you have to accept it. And he never said, it was my will and the enemy came involved. Like the why mm-hmm. isn't as important as the love. 
So receiving mm. God's love is what healed me. Any explanation mm. would have probably not healed me. It just, mm. you know. Um, and mm-hmm. and then I remember saying, Lord, if the enemy has taken kids from me, then give me something that I can do that will torture him for the rest of my life and mm. do something that will help people in a radical way. And that was before mm. I started Single Matters. And in my heart mm, are still, beautiful. It's he's so beautiful, right? Like now I'm encouraging mm. singles. I'm coaching women that are in their 20s and 30s in relationships because I believe it's God's design for us to be to reflect the covenant that we have with him for us to have with a husband and and with our own children and um and that nurturing feeling that you and I have the desire to nurture i find ways to use that so i disciple my nieces like what you're doing with your boyfriend's kids like we can be in their lives you can never have enough love and so i'm looking for ways to love people that god has put in my circle so that's how that's I've kind so of gone through the journey. Jill. I love that so much. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, and just when you were talking about mourning, the, you crying, like one of the one of the parts of my book that I've had probably more people write about than anybody else, like write to me and say that really ministered to me was mm-hmm. when I talk about disenfranchised grief. And so mm-hmm. disenfranchised grief means that you're like you're deprived the right to grieve. Yeah, and um, like when my dad died, like it was you know, people knew that something was there and then was taken away from me. So people had a lot of empathy for me and they were crying with me and they were Mm -hmm. bringing me, you know, gifts and they were feeding me for when he died. But I never had that same kind of sympathy for when I haven't had children. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, but it's like having some, like having something that you love taken away from you um, is is a very hard grief, but another, you know, grief. It might not be as as. I mean, like losing a child is different than never having a child. Right. But they're both really hard. Like mm-hmm. both of those things are incredibly hard. And society doesn't really know what to do with people who haven't had something and they're mourning over not having it because mm-hmm. there's you know there's just a lot more social. Um, social recognition over somebody who has something that loses it. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and that's something I have definitely experienced too, is just so much compassion from God. Like, I I remember one time praying to God and asking him after, like, the umpteenth guy, you know, before Justin, almost every guy was like this, who, like, hangs out with me. And then, you know, after a few months, it's like, oh, you know, I think I see you more as a sister. And I just remember crying out to God and saying, do you understand like un- un- unrequited love? And he's like, you know, every day I, I understand. I mm-hmm. think like, that is my life is unrequited mm-hmm. love. There's so many people in the world who don't know me or turn against me, even if I, I have loved them. And so, yeah, that comfort that God gives us, you know, even when we don't understand, it's just so priceless. And um, I think that's so beautiful that he came to you on Mother's Day and gave, gave you such a special gift. He did. It was a gift. And there was some, there's something good about once we can validate our pain and acknowledge our grief, even if no one else does it, but we do it with the Lord, it's like we can, you know, turn the page. I don't mean close a chapter, but turn the page 
and then look towards what what are we supposed to do with that energy with that with with that dream with that love like how can it turn you know like what joseph said what you know you meant for evil god will use for good like god how do you want to use this in my life and um so yeah i poured myself into single matters and you poured yourself into a book and um <laughs> yeah. so yeah I hope um, I hope so many people get this book, and I think it'll be such a blessing. And just as we kind of wrap up, tell me, what do you want people to know about the book? Why do you think they need this book? Like, go ahead, pitch yourself, like, no shame. <laughs> like, let people know, because um, I think it's really good, and there's so many things we could talk about, but what are you hearing as far as feedback, and why is it blessing people? Yeah, I just, um, like, especially on reviews I've gotten on Amazon, which I have gotten a lot of reviews on Amazon. I mean, like, and I have, I mean, I have had a few, you know, one girl said that she's been reading every single book that comes out and this is the best one she's ever read. And I've gotten quite a few like that. And even Frank Viola, who's a really awesome, um, author, well-known author. Yeah. He read, I guess him and his wife, uh, read the book out loud to each other and he gave me such a sweet review just saying he was so surprised by how well written it was and stuff, mm-hmm. but I, 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 what I really have hoped to get across with the, with the book is just like, uh, just like a feeling of, I've been there too. Like I know how hard this is, and mm-hmm. I, I want you to be able to grieve and feel these these feelings. But I also want you to have hope. I also want you to look for um, places where you can have family, even if you don't have a traditional family. Then, mm-hmm. and, and more than anything else, I want you to recognize how much God loves you. And um, I probably, my favorite chapter in the book is called um, The Great Name Changer. And it's about Jacob and how um, God changes his name. So Jacob was basically he, like one of his names, his, his name meant quite a few things, but one of them was supplanter, which is, you know, one person replaces somebody else. And like, in a way, Jacob lived his whole life, like, wishing he could be the firstborn. Like, that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. his whole, well, you know, he did all these things in order to try to be the firstborn. He pretended to be his brother so that his dad would give him the birthright. He, like, made um, Esau, or he, Esau sold his birthright to him. Like, he was just like, I was supposed to be the firstborn <laughs> and I'm not the firstborn, you know. And so he lived his whole life wishing he could be something that he wasn't. And, um, but there's this beautiful scene where, you know, um, after many years, um, go by, um, he hears that Esau is coming and he's afraid that Esau is going to try to kill him because he did all these crazy things to him. And he goes to this, um, to this crossing of the river and he, he has all these wives and all these, um, you know, he has all these, um, things he owns. And he sends them over with rafts and he lets go of all of them. So it's like all the things he has built up, like under this premise of like, I'm going to get my firstborn, you know, things, whether I'm firstborn or not. Like there was just Mm -hmm. so much controlling and so much trying to control things. And, but in like, in that moment, he kind of let go of all of those things. And then he was alone. Like who knows if he was hardly ever alone in his life. And when he was alone that night, that's when... God came to him and wrestled with him. And then after he wrestled with him, he gave him a new name, mm. which was Israel. He who wrestles with God, you know, and has overcome. 
And so he went from this name, Jacob, that means supplanter, the one who wants to be what he is not, and deceiver, to the one who wrestles with God and has overcome. And I just love that picture because I, I can really relate to Jacob in some ways because I think so many of my years I struggled with wishing so much that I had a different life, wishing that I had kids, wishing that I had married young. And and there's just something about coming to this place of recognizing, of wrestling with God where you're like, God, this is so hard, but I am going to trust you. And he is able to to change your name and to say, this is, you know, this is not who you are. This You do not need to control things like this. You can let mm. go of all, of all of that and you can let that go over the river and you can, you can just be with me and you can embrace this life that you've been given, even if it's not what you pictured it to be. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the, the main things that I hope people get. I hope that they feel so much like, um, somebody understands what I'm going through, but also this 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 picture of hope of like you can embrace the life that you have and you can live a beautiful life even if you never get married. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. You can have a beautiful life even if you never get married. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I've so enjoyed our conversation and I would love for people to know where they can find you. Can you mention your website and social media stuff? Yeah, you can find out about me on kateherley.com, K-A-T-E-H-U-R-L-E-Y.com. So, like, all my albums are on there. I'm working on a new live worship album right now. And then my book is on there. I'm working on a new book that will be on there soon. And then just more information about me as well. And then um, I think my Facebook is just Kate Hurley. I have a Kate Hurley Music and then I think my Instagram is I am Kate Hurley. I think <laughs> you're right. My heart. I think yeah. it is. I think it is I am Kate Hurley. Yeah. Okay. But I guess the well, if you go to my website, it has all my all my um, social media handles on there too. So great. Yeah. Well, I will be sure to put all the links to Kate and all her social media and all the things that we mentioned here today in uh, the show notes on my website at jillmonaco.com slash podcast. Find this podcast and you'll see all the links that we mentioned here today. Kate, thank you so much again for joining me. I love you, my friend. Oh, I love you too. It's such a blessing. It's so good to talk to you. We need to do this again soon. Okay. Like offline. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to The Jill Monaco Show. And I pray that this episode blessed you. And if it did, there's a couple things I would love for you to do. You know, leaving a review or rating it really helps us out. It helps other people find this kind of content. And or you might know someone who's single and is really struggling with that. And you might be able to forward this to them and help them along their journey. So, and of course, if you buy Kate's book, I promise you'll be blessed by it as well. Um, And if you'd like to support the show financially, you can do that as well. The ministry is a 501c3 and you can go to jillmonaco.com and help support us so we can make more podcasts like this. Again, thank you, my friends, for joining me. And remember, love well, you are made for it.